Hey there. This is Matthew from Fighting Over the VCR. And, um, yeah, it's been a long time. And uh, I just want you to know that Nancy and I are doing okay. We're not actually fighting. We've just uh, had to take a little bit of a hiatus. Um, life stuff, you know, we both have full-time jobs. I have a family. Nancy has been watching a lot of movies and doing a lot of stuff on her house so just you know stuff is going on but we're good just wanted to let you all know that we do plan on getting back to this on a regular basis hopefully at the end of this year coming into the new year might have a little bit of changes going on with our format a little bit but you know we still are busy watching movies and we still like to talk about them, so sit tight. Um, before we went on hiatus, though, we did record a couple episodes. So uh, I'm going to uh, go ahead and uh, let me get this tape in here. Okay, hit rewind. And uh, yeah, we got a couple episodes from a few months ago that we recorded, and just want to share those with you right now. So let me get play. All right, enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy, and Matt's talking and weird. This is, and this is the podcast where we talk about movies that we grew up watching. He's, he's doing a character. I know it. <laughs> I know who he's channeling. Who could I possibly be channeling? No one in particular that we might be talking about later in our podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This week, we take on two movies based on books that, of course, I have never read. Me neither. (laughs) By Brett Easton Ellis. Later, I'll be talking about the glorious comedy called American Psycho. But Nancy will first get us started off talking about less than zero take it away nancy and let's hope matt doesn't talk like this for the whole episode christian bale nailed it we don't need matt to do with this anyway don't tempt me oh my god so so guys listen matt you're so silly so less than zero came out in 1987 i was in sixth grade and i think i am fairly certain i have a clear memory of seeing this in the theater what business did a sixth grader have seeing this who knows but i did and i had the movie poster on the back of my door for a long time after watching this movie matt is nodding he's remembering that i had the poster very much so it was the the kind of bluish red look yeah. shot the and, two, the two uh, sh- by the pool by yes. the pool the, the two shots uh, Robert Downey Jr. sitting up against the pool during the day and Andrew McCarthy and Jamie Gertz standing by the pool 
lit up at night. Yes. So, again, 11-year-old Nancy saw this movie in the theater in sixth grade. No idea why, but it's okay. Um, Do you remember who you saw it with? I don't. Because it was not me. I don't remember who I... I was going to movies by myself, so it's possible I went alone. But I don't know. It's very bizarre. I mean, I c- you don't remember seeing it with, like... Well, I was in sixth grade. You had sixth to have, grade was a weird year You had to me. have gone. But you had to have gone with somebody. Not necessarily. Like, so anyways, well, 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 my movie watching experience of this aside. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have never seen this movie all the way through. Really? I had seen parts of it, but there was a lot of it I hadn't remembered. I think I had seen probably like the first half an hour and got bored maybe left. the no and then i had seen like the final scene yeah. so what i'm thinking happened was i started watching the movie at some point was not that interested changed the channel and never went back or i went back and the movie was ending probably and i caught the end and when you're watching this movie the end is not a surprise <laughs> so no. so so this movie takes place it starts at the high school graduation of these three best friends you know clay blair and julian i mean can you get more 80s names than those three i don't think so they're in it's a major appliance not a name (laughs) (laughs) they're in this super posh area in southern california i don't know if it's necessarily beverly hills but i'm gonna assume for argument's sake it is or in the the very rich part of the extended beverly hills area and 90210 maybe possibly and clay is set to go to college you know he's got big dreams big ambitions blair played by jamie gertz she wants to be a model maybe she'll go maybe not but julian he barely got out of high school he's like i'm gonna start a record label this is what i'm gonna do with my life and you kind of get the impression that julian's been a screw up all through high school probably like most of his teenage years and i think the friends know that but after a very brief few minutes of a graduation scene where everyone's happy and before everything all starts to turn to shit it then jumps to a six months later right around christmas time and the intensity of the drugs of the 80s has just seeped into this los angeles crew and you know julian is an absolute complete mess and Jamie Gertz calls up Andrew McCarthy to make sure, hey, buddy, you're coming home for Christmas, right? I really need to see you. And he's like, okay, yeah, whatever. I was just there at Thanksgiving, and I saw you uh, were screwing each other and cheating on me, so I'm not sure how happy I was about coming back. But sure, I'll be, I'll be back for Christmas. And yeah, she is trying to have um, Andrew McCarthy come back and do as much of an intervention as possible with Julian. Because in addition to being totally wrapped up in drugs and really really sick he's also up to his eyeballs in major major debt with the 80s villain james spader who what else was he a villain in other than pretty and pink well he's been villains in other things like i kind of would say he was a villain in the office as as robert california yeah oh he's, i don't know he's about pretty that. nefarious <laughs> He's a villain in a TV Age show. Age of Ultron. Called Age of Ultron. <laughs> he's, an, he's a villain in a TV show he's been in for like eight seasons called The Blacklist. 
he plays like you is know, he the villain in that I mean, he's the protagonist. He's the villain the same way that Hannibal Lecter is a villain. I don't think he eats people, but he is definitely a criminal. But they need him to catch, you know, catch other criminals. Anyways, we digress. But yeah, James Spader, who I actually like that he chooses to do these dark, gritty, gritty roles. You know, because I wanted to see this movie back in sixth grade because, of course. I was like a John Hughes junkie, as we've all talked about. And here we're coming off of watching Pretty in Pink like a year or so before. And it's like, oh, okay, well, this, this, they're still like finishing high school. How different is this movie? Maybe it's a little edgier. Well, hello, way edgier. But I <laughs> liked it. I really enjoyed it. And I thought, I thought it was really interesting. And as we've talked about in other podcasts, I was always interested in watching movies about people older than me you know kind of like is this what it could be like and you know the the whole 80s scene in los angeles i mean it is so i don't know i mean since this movie came out in the 80s versus american psycho which we're going to talk about later which feels more like looking back and being a little more critical of it this just really feels like it captured the moment and i'll also say that the bangles covering hazy shade of winter really got me into simon and garfunkel at age 11 in a way that i hadn't really done a deep dive into simon and garfunkel before so if there's nothing redeeming about this movie other than it really got me into simon and garfunkel i'll take it so i don't know i i really like the journey i mean again it's dark it's depressing it's intense it's you know I have no problem watching movie about movies about people dealing with drug problems. So, I mean, it kind of checks that box. Um, but you have to be prepared for it and be ready for it if that's what you're going to watch. So, But I think Robert Downey Jr. That... is excellent in this movie. I think everyone's actually really good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't Jamie, say Jamie that Gertz has like a little kind of like in this baby, movie. <laughs> baby whiny voice that gets kind of tedious. But... I mean, I would I, really I would not like say that movie. her acting about her acting ability in this movie is probably on par with her acting ability in Lost Boys. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. I mean, they so, came out within around, so, around the same time. Not not necessarily any you know much improved. I would say, and and not that she's like unwatchable in sure. it, which she is not, but it's not. You know the greatest. It's not Oscar worthy. Correct. Um, Andrew McCarthy the whole time is just kind of like stressed out the whole time and like, like acting, you know, like a stressed out parent who doesn't know how, how to handle their own kid and yeah. you know just kind of, you know, kind of angry and you never really see him like happy in this movie. And then you oh have, wait 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 wait. He has a lot of sex well, he's in this a kind movie, of, so he's ha he's happy for at least some moments in this movie. He doesn't even look like he's enjoying it. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> he just kind of looks like it's. I don't know. I don't know. It's you just, don't think at the Christmas dinner scene he's like, "Hey, mom, pass the mashed potatoes. I, think that, I gotta go in the other room for uh, a minute." I don't know. I the real standout in this movie is is Robert Downey Jr. Of course, who, of the of of everyone in this movie is probably the best actor. Yes. And, you know, oddly enough, you know, he is pretty much on drugs the whole movie. And 
he's also on drugs the whole time he's making this movie yeah. almost so which you know anyone who knows anything about his past you know even after making this movie there was there was incidents in this movie that happened to him pretty much in real life yeah. that he t- that you know are really rough it was like a foreshadowing like, of what was going to happen to him for the next 10 years right right and you know we're so glad that you know it's so strange like seeing him in this movie you know just really fucked up and yep going through some shit and then in the end like thinking like don't worry he ends up being iron man and like saving the, the universe <laughs> so you turn into the, tony the, stark oh but at that point he kind of teamed genius up. billionaire philanthropist playboy the philanthropist but in the future he and ultron almost kind of pair up sort of well he makes ultron he makes so. ultron so james spader becomes his creation james spader his character looks so much like the villain in the third Karate Kid movie that he fights. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. It's like, yeah, he kind of, he, that's kind of what it reminded me of. But it's really interesting because Brett Easton Ellis, I guess, did not like this movie when oh. it came out. And because of how they interpreted his book, hmm. which is fine because it's not like I've ever read it. So why should I care? But. Yeah, is it... This movie, like, is a cautionary tale. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, you know, it does not end well. And you get to see how... I don't know how realistic it is, because I've never had to actually take care of someone who has, you know, been that fucked up on crack cocaine. Yeah. But um, it's pretty intense to watch and some of the scenes with Robert Downey Jr. And it didn't make me feel... I didn't have any good feeling watching it. And when it was over... And when it was over, I'm like, well, I'm glad that was over. (laughs) Because... And and I was not surprised by the ending. No. And after, you know, you watch everything that was going on and what Robert Downey Jr. was putting his body through. Yeah. You know, it just... It's just a rough rough movie i mean they comment on how um, shitty he looks through the whole movie you look horrible you you're and she comments on how sick he had been and how she had taken care of him multiple times so i mean again like you said it's not a surprise and really what other outcome was there going to be like he wasn't going to be able to stay clean even though you know he tries to make that bargain with his dad yeah i'll stay clean for a week but i mean Bill was going to always be standing in a doorway lighting up a crack pipe for him and luring him back yeah. in. Bill, by the way, yeah. who ended up becoming a real big villain in Breaking Bad. Just FYI. So that that actor yeah. is always going to be a bad guy. Anyways. Yeah, he was also... He was um, he played a bad guy in Kill Bill, too, in the Kill Bill movies. Mm. So, See? Yeah, like Typecast. you said, forever bad guy typecast bad guy just like james spader i mean how many times has james spader been a good guy in something well it doesn't happen that often he was in a movie that i saw over the summer called um white palace with him and susan sarandon and he was like this yuppie character also but he wasn't necessarily a villain like he was a love interest in that and um again it it makes me kind of interested i'm actually want to seek out and watch more james spader movies after watching have you ever seen have you ever seen Sex Lies a videotape? No, but I added it to my list today. That is that's an interesting movie. Is he a bad I think guy? You'd then? enjoy it. 
Kind of, sort of. Is he the husband? Yeah. Just watch it. Okay. (laughs) Just watch it. (laughs) Yeah, check that one out. Yeah, I think the thing about James Spader, which is kind of difficult, is he has such a known voice Mm -hmm. and cadence in his voice Mm -hmm. that he could very easily be typecast as, like, the antagonist or in a negative light as Mm -hmm. someone. I mean... He really could play, but he really could play like a lawyer. Like he was, he was in a, a legal show called Boston um, Public. Boston Public, I think. Yeah, I never so, watched it. Or Boston Legal. Boston Legal. Oh yeah, yeah. Boston Public was about schools, yeah. which would have been, been interesting if he was in it. <laughs> but no, he was in he was in that for a while, and I think he had kind of a comedic role in that. Like that show was like like dramedy. I think. It may have been like a David know. E. Kelly show, kind of like Ally McBeal and all those. I don't know. Hey, William Shatner was in it. It couldn't have been that serious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've got that right. I object. So I mean, like, did you walk anyway? Up, like, what other other than feeling kind of gross and dirty after watching this movie? I mean, did you have any other impressions of it? I just never want to have to watch it ever again. <laughs> well, I don't think I've seen it more than I think this was maybe the third time I've seen it because I don't think we ever had a dub of it or anything like that. Uh, I think we did, but we just never put it on because I would like I never want to watch this movie, and I don't think you really wanted to repeat watch it. Well, I, I, think- I will say I will say this: one of the things that I I will wa- I walked away from in this movie, and from the very beginning in the opening credits, I saw that Rick Rubin had done uh, was involved with the music Mm -hmm. so i kept looking for bands that i knew were associated with rick rubin to pop up in the in the movie and you got uh run dmc Mm -hmm. ll cool j Mm -hmm. uh slayer red hot chili peppers i mean all these bands popped up within this movie and those they have all worked with rick rubin in some way shape or form so that was interesting to me the the other song that came from the soundtrack is L O Cool J's "Going Back to Cali," and that is the song that defines California to me, not the Notorious B.I.G. song about going back to California, hmm. um, which a whole other generation of kids associate with it. But when I think of going back to Cali, that's the yeah. I think of the L O Cool J song, and I have this very vivid memory of and you might remember this but there was a talent show at our elementary school where i think kids guys from your grade from your class lip-synced to this to go to that lo cool j song (laughs) and i have like this brief like like this very like this glimpse of like a guy with a saxophone (laughs) and a guy like dancing like like at a talent show doing well, <laughs> like lip syncing to well, this I mean, song. It would have been and like so sixth so grade, it so. would have been sixth grade, yeah. which would have been Yeah. And oh, and that's funny. you know, if I'm thinking if I'm th- trying to think of anything funny that could come out of talking about this movie. That's hilarious. It's that. That's it's really that. funny. We can I'll name names when we go offline. Sure. But uh, that's anyway, funny, man. I, um, don't I don't I mean, I don't I'm not going to say I don't agree with you. I just don't remember that. But it doesn't surprise me. I, I believe it happened. Yeah. yeah. That's too much. Yeah. I mean, with the exception of Robert Downey Jr. kind of 
you know, being the real kind of acting standout in this movie, and then continuing a career of being um, a, a really good actor. Because, um, like, Andrew McCarthy's a director now. He doesn't even really... Mm-hmm. He doesn't act anymore, really. Who I haven't heard... When was the last time you heard of Jamie Gertz? She was in... <laughs> so. She did television for a long time. Um, I don't know. I think that maybe wrapped up in, like, the early 2000s, but... Yeah, I mean, she was pretty busy. I mean, she was a child actress. She started, um, she was acting early teenage years, so. But, I mean, again, I think it's kind of interesting to think of this movie, like, kind of at the very end of, like, Andrew McCarthy doing, like, John Hughes movies. (laughs) Because those movies all have a very, very different tone, even though. How many John Hughes movies did he do? He did, I mean, he just did the One? one, but I mean, like to be part of like a John Hughes catalog, you know, and there were so many teenage centric movies that John Hughes did in the eighties, um, to participate in that, you know, but I mean, I I think it's almost like, I almost kind of feel like two things were going on. One, the people making the movie were like, Hey, let's get these actors. Cause they're, cause they're kind of it actors around the age. We need them. And two, some of those actors are probably like, we do not want to be typecast as like these kid actors, yeah. you know, doing only these kinds of movies. And maybe we should do something a little more, a little more serious and whatnot. I mean, maybe that was it. Or maybe it was, I, I don't know, but. Well, Andrew McCarthy did this, St. Elmo's if, Fire a few years before that, which we've talked about. And that had some darkness to it. That had some drugs and alcohol and. Even though you were bored to tears by that movie, I mean, there was some. I was not. That movie. I was. But we liked him the most in that movie. Yeah, and I was not bored watching this movie like I was Saint Elmo's Fire, but it almost has a similar vibe. the The thing that really carries this movie to make it less boring as Saint Elmo's Fire is it has it does have a really good soundtrack. Like it has good music throughout <laughs> this movie. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the like the club scenes with the music and all that kind of stuff, that would be. I mean, because watching Robert Downey Jr. have like ODing is not fun. I don't really. That's not a fun part of this movie. But I probably would enjoy watching this movie more than like Requiem for a Dream. A million times. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, this yeah. if this is my my if this is gonna be like my, my my limit like. Yeah. The other movie that my wife had mentioned that is that we will talk about eventually that you could only compare it to is like Train Spotting. Similar, yes. But this not, movie not, is but... darker. This movie is darker and definitely not as good as Train Spotting. Well, the, the, there's very very basic differences too between those two movies because I'm just the aesthetics of train spotting feels really gross to me in a lot of ways. I mean, and this has, this is like trying to show a glamor, like this, this really rich glamorous world, but all these people are high all the time and look at how much that screws everybody up. I mean, well, you know, I mean, there's like the the surface of it is glamorous. Well, but if you look, if you look at, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna com- do a comparison of, of these, I haven't seen Train Spotting in a long, else, long time. So, no, 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 I understand, but I would say 
that the drug of choice in less than zero that they're surrounding upon is cocaine yeah which seems like a more like 80s glamorous kind of drug sure whereas in the 90s of train spotting it was about heroin yeah. which always had kind of a dirty like underground kind of feel as opposed to a glamorous feel well yeah i mean shoving a needle in your so, arm is a lot grosser than right snorting it right and then and then another movie that we'll eventually talk about where you actually really kind of see like this glamour aspect and like rise and fall is boogie nights which also has the cocaine aspect in it so yeah there's i think that maybe there's like a real life but also kind of a hollywood kind of like way of depicting cocaine as like this glamour money kind of thing and it's in in even when we talk about american psycho it it has that same kind of thing like it's a party drug and you know you're living life on cocaine kind of thing requiem for a dream is a heroin movie so there you go so anyway well, I mean, uh, favorite well, f- favorite yeah. scene. Um, the party. <laughs> What's scene? your favorite scene? Early, like that first big party scene, um, before. Do you know you? Do you know you have TVs between your legs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you walk in. I mean, and again, it's like, I never went to a party like that. I don't know about you, but it's also funny to think that they're all supposed to be like nineteen no. years old. <laughs> you know, it's just... that was the that was the other thing yeah. that really tripped me out about this movie is. I had, for some reason, I had always remembered it as they were friends in college and they were graduating college Mm-mm. and then kind of getting their life on, like going on. So when I did my rewatch and they were graduating high school, yeah. I was like, this is bullshit. I was yeah. like, no, no, they're not graduate. This is, this is not believable at all. Yeah. So that's all I got to say. No. Well, I'm, I don't even know what my favorite scene is. Well, I mean,. Probably the credits. It sounds Maybe like it might have been. It might have been. It might have been when when Clay punched uh, Rip James Spader and <laughs> Rip James Spader in the face. Yeah, I don't know. Well, like I said, I think I think you know maybe Jamie Gertz aside. I think everyone does a decent job in this movie. I mean, I like the I like a lot of the performances. Like you said, the soundtrack is great. I have the soundtrack. Um, I'm not surprised. A lot of it was because of the Roy Orbison song. That was one I really wanted to get. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. But, um, not not going back to Cal. Well, no. I mean, I liked all your, those too. Your but friends I mean... from your friends from elementary school were not like inspiring you to get this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so funny. it's the cra- It's crazy the things that we like get burned into our brains. And I just remember like <laughs> your friends doing like. Remember, remember, like '80s dance moves, <laughs> like the Running Man oh, yeah. and like the Cabbage Patch, and you know, all of those. That's what they were doing on stage. And I just remember being like, being in like, God, when you were in sixth grade, I was in like third grade. Yes. Like looking up and being like, what What's are going they on? Doing? <laughs> Wait, is this what I'm supposed to be aspiring to? Because they're older than me. What is going on? <laughs> Elementary school talent shows are a very strange thing. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, because you have the kid who can like who like from the age of three learned how to play piano and like does like this amazing thing on the piano that is 
very repetitive that you just get like bored at and then you have people who just like lip sync something that is not very talented but you feel like they're like it's like the coolest thing ever because you get to hear a song on the from the radio it's something i don't know i don't know no offense to anyone who did elementary school talent shows i never did because i didn't have any talent so yeah me why would i have done that so anyway nothing at least i'd show off well i mean (laughs) you can check this off as a movie you've now finally watched beginning to end unfortunately yes i would not tell people like oh man you got to go out and watch less than zero so listeners do you have to go out and watch less than zero maybe not if you want to watch a great movie about drugs in the 80s and how they can destroy your life and it's glitzy because it's set in like the rich part of la this is a movie to watch maybe i don't know but if you want to know about how people dealt with wall street oh my god and the (laughs) potential boredom of being white and privileged Mm -hmm. in 1987 i've got the movie for you so we're gonna talk about american psycho (laughs) which came out in 2000 you know right as you know we survive y2k and then we have to try and survive patrick bateman played masterfully Mm -hmm. by christian bale who was practically begging to play this role like originally there was other actors who were you know being tapped to play this role um one being leonardo dicaprio which totally would not have worked he he never he went from like child baby face to then like 40 year old face he never had like an in-between gradual aging he never had a chiseled face like christian bale does and christian bale looks the right age even though we saw him grow up you know we saw him as a little kid actor he looks like i mean he's like 26 27 when he made this movie and yes he he looks the right age (laughs) he looks good another interesting story that i heard was ewan mcgregor who Mm. you know this was like right like ewan mcgregor was pretty you know well known at this Mm -hmm. point he was looking at playing this role and christian bale actually asked him do not go out for this role because he wanted it that bad he patrick bateman is a rich wall street guy who works at pierce and pierce in the murders and executions division i mean mergers and acquisitions division and he's very into he's a narcissist he's very into himself super like vain. He's, he's super vain super neat you know wants everything to be perfectly clean i mean and i saw this movie shortly after it had come out i was i was into this movie i was like this i saw i did not see it in the theater i i rented it and i was like i want to see this movie and i rented it and i was blown away by this movie <laughs> pretty much because well i like movies about serial killers and stuff because i find them interesting um like zodiac Mm -hmm. you know i've talked about zodiac a million times but um just there's something about this movie it's the aesthetic it's the directing it's it's the 80s hits the art 
the the art direction the, i will say this the 80s music in this movie is terrible and i would never pick this music but it is except for a couple tunes from a club but like like when walking on sunshine comes on it's like it's like claws on a on a on a on a it's like Freddy Krueger's claws on a on a blackboard. His <laughs> to incredible me. enthusiasm for the music. Though. How do you not get into that? I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> and basically, throughout the entire movie, we kind of see the vainness and the jealousy that Patrick Bateman has against like like his coworkers and the disgust yeah. that he has against all these people. But then we actually see him literally murder people. And he will hire prostitutes and murder them. He hire he murders a co-worker named Paul Allen, played, again, masterfully by Jared Leto, in the, like, ten minutes of screen time he actually has. And eventually he's he starts feeling... Not feeling bad about what he's doing, but he's... He... He... he his his thirst for doing it starts getting more and more to where he's seeing things and he's dreaming about and he's just like thinking about murdering these people all the time and he slips innuendos about how he's going to murder people into his into his regular you know like conversations with people and the movie's pretty gruesome Uh, it's pretty bloody it almost got nc-17 rating because of the sex and violence in it because he basically in a few very graphic scenes is having sex with women and then murders them which gloria steinem like fought hard to never get this movie made like she was like i do not want this movie made ever because of just how violent it is against women um ironically i read that she later dated Christian Bale's dad and became his stepmom. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> Which, the irony, right? Wild. Um, anyway. And anyway, the irony, too, um, that two women adapted the screenplay and a woman directed this. Which I think is amazing. Yeah. I think it is just Mary Heron, who worked on the screenplay and directed this, I love the direction in this Mm -hmm. movie. Like, everything from the art direction and the shots that they take and, like, how they try to um, illustrate, like, his psychosis Mm -hmm. in some of the shots from, like, there's a shot where um, they're in a cab and I think he's in the cab with... Is it Reese or Samantha? What's her name? The the secretary. I oh, think he's Chloe in the cab Savant- with the secretary. S- Chloe. Savini. And she is like... In cl- no, no, it, you're right. It was the other one. It was the one he was having the affair with. Samantha um, Mathis. And she's in, she's in the cab. And they're in the back seat. And you're seeing it through like the front window of the cab. And she's pretty clear. But there's like a window that separates the, pas- the passengers in the back seat from the front seat. And it's half open. So you can see her clearly. But he is all kind of blurred and looks all distorted. And like shots like that. I'm like, this is masterful. Is that- like how they have illustrated his psychosis. Is that when he drives by and it's says... It's so great. 
is that Donald Trump next to us? I think so, yes. And then when later he's like, when he thinks he is sees... Is that Donald Trump's car? Yeah. Later when he thinks he sees Ivanka Trump in a Mexican restaurant? <sighs> yes. No, that wasn't... The, was that the Mexican restaurant? That was where Maybe. he met anyway. someone. I don't remember. Paul Texarkana, Allen. Texarkana, whatever Allen. it was called. Yeah, it was called Texarkana. Anyway, I just... There's something about this movie that while it is incredibly disturbing and very hard to watch some of the violence in this movie i've seen this movie so many times to where i just think it's funny it is like i laugh watching this movie because it is like so extreme it's almost ridiculous i mean one of the best scenes that my wife and i always joke about like this is how we should go out for halloween is the scene when he chases the girl with the chainsaw (laughs) well my because it's so it is just so insane like we joke we're not actually gonna 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 do that that's that's terrible yeah i'm gonna interject and tell you what my favorite scene is it's the business Uh card scene that is one of my favorite scenes the best because i work in because it involves my job and i'm sitting there like and i and i've dealt with those people where it's like like what if look at my card and they're all they all look the same they're it all the same so, card i love that scene so much because first off it's not gory i mean the worst thing that can happen in that scene is someone's getting a paper cut whipping their business card out of the little uh container but no i just think it's so freaking funny because they're all like around the same age they all look very similar to each other they just you know the differences of their cards are just so insanely subtle and it just it makes me and he obsesses over it because he's just so insecure like that's the thing it's like all of these men are so incredibly insecure and they're comparing themselves to each other all the time so if they can measure up and who can get the best reservation at that fake restaurant and just all these things but the the business card scene is my favorite scene and then when the guy who like they all make fun of gets a card that like blows all of their cards out of the water they're like wow that's nice yeah it's really they just they're like speechless i love the business card scene there's i i just there's not a boring scene to me in this movie and maybe that shows that like something is wrong with me (laughs) i don't know like well, I, I, I don't know. I think it you just, have. To, I think you have to be good with constant voiceover for this to enjoy this movie. I mean, because you're basically in Patrick Bateman's his head. head. You're in his. You're in his movie. head the whole movie. He's, yes. he's he's commenting on everything around him all the time, and if you don't like hearing his thoughts, then this movie is not going to be for you. Um, I've, I, I've only seen it, this is <clears throat> maybe my third time watching it. I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I'm sure I saw it soon after it came out. Um, but yeah. I don't think I've seen it in at least 15 years, maybe longer. Um, and there was a lot about it that I hadn't really remembered. I mean, I remembered the business card scene, but and I remembered some of the murders. And of course, I remembered a lot of the, the musical scenes, or his conversation about all the music. But he's just so, just the absolute emptiness of his life is so interesting to watch. Well, and that's where you get to the twist at the end. Yeah. Which is, which some people debate of whether it's true or not. 
but it's pretty clear that he never really murdered anybody. It was, he was just so bored with his life. And so into just how like his physique and, and all of that, that he just fantasized about murdering all these people and where they really, when they tell that, when they give it away, with the whole going to the apartment where he supposedly hid all the bodies and there's yeah. no one there. There's nothing there for him to clean up. Yeah. And then his, when Gene, um, his secretary finds his notebook with all just the, the notes about doing all the stuff yeah. and how just kind of twisted he is in the head, but just all of that. And the fact that Paul Allen never was murdered, yeah. um, you really just kind of get in your head like what is wrong with this guy and i think that kind of thing too just really made me enjoy it and what's funny is in some ways how you have the violence and the twist at the end is kind of similar to another great movie that we'll probably talk about fight club but i hate the twist at the end of that movie i hate the twist at the end of that movie we'll 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 save that for another day I just, there's just, what I think is, it doesn't, it never leaves, it doesn't leave me with, it doesn't leave you with like the feeling I, you have at the end of Less Than Zero. Yeah, because shit actually Um, happened in Less Than Zero. That's the difference. I mean, that, see, that's the thing about American Psycho that's a little, it's almost cheap at the end when it's this whole, oh, it was just a dream or, oh, it was just all in his head. I mean, the thing that's... The Which thing typically that's, I hate. I yeah. will I will say, I typically hate that that, that kind of excuse. Well, I but mean, the thing that's interesting about that, though, is if he has all this stuff going on in his head, to me, it says at any moment he could be pushed to actually make these things happen. Right. We maybe well, just and, haven't seen and that's what, Right. And you can get, like, there ends up being, like, a gradualness to all of it. And some of it is very subtle. Like, he'll meet somebody. Like, he'll meet a he'll meet a woman, and he's very specific. Like, he wants them to be blonde, and he, that is like the target that he always goes after. And there's like a scene where he's talking to a woman who's blonde, or no, he's walking he's walking on the street, and a blonde woman walks next to him, and then he just says hello to her. She says hello to him, and then they start walking at the same pace across the street. The it, the scene cuts, and the next thing you see is him him at in his office doing a crossword puzzle with a lock of her hair that he's just mm-hmm. putting on her face, and then puts in his pocket. And then when you look at the crossword yeah. puzzle, he's he's not doing the crossword puzzle. He's just writing the words "meat" and "bone" yeah. in all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> There's just something about this movie that. In the same, probably in a similar vein to why I like kind of the darkness of Lost Highway, where there's an artistry to it in the way the movie is made and the way the story is told that is intriguing to me. And I think that's what stands out about Mm -hmm. this movie. Now, I did not do extra credit and watch American Psycho 2, (laughs) which starring Mia Kunis, which apparently has zero to really do with this movie it was just like they thought tried to think of a way to make a sequel to it but this movie stands out on it to me and yeah i wouldn't um, want to see a sequel to this there's no point but um yeah favorite scenes like i love the scene when he kills paul allen 
just because he is so over the top dramatic in that scene and then he's got like the newspaper on the ground he's like like got the raincoat on and he's got like the perfectly polished axe that he's about to 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 hack him with and like you know what's going to happen like it's not a surprise that he's going to going to kill him but just watching it all go down is just what song is playing when he's doing that matt uh huey lewis in the news during that one and um hip to be square that's right is the song playing then and apparently um right before the chainsaw scene um when he kills his friend and the prostitute in the background is an instrumental version of a whitney houston song yeah and apparently she would not let them have the actual rights to play the actual song like they wanted they asked her and she's like um no <laughs> it's the greatest so. love of all i had that album just so you know i know you did <laughs> i remember an actual album yes you had the album the album yes. i don't know i just really enjoy watching this movie i mean the scene when he's doing like a, like so the scene when I started watching this movie this morning on my phone because with my son and everything, it's hard yeah, to tell yeah. when I'm going to have a chance to watch these, right? You don't want and him catching I got th- No, but I also want to make sure that my wife can watch it, wants to watch a movie, that we can watch it together. So it, it becomes like a juggling act, and I don't watch things straight through, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I started watching on my phone, and I got past... The, routine, the morning routine scene. Mm-hmm. And then he was going to the restaurant and I just turned the movie off and I said, nope, I have to watch this with my wife because her and I just have this connection of watching this movie because we both like are entertained by it and laugh at it so much because it's so in- insane. The scene when he does his morning routine and you see him like talk about his workout and taking a shower and all the different kinds of soap and cleansers and face washes he uses mm-hmm. and the the then he puts on the um Peel the, the honey mask the, that he peels off and all that um so as you had mentioned Mary Heron uh wrote and directed this and then Genevieve Turner was the other screenwriter who also plays Elizabeth, one of his victims. Um, They made sure that every woman that was available for the cast in the, in the cast and crew was there the day they shot the shower scene. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, and and apparently uh, Christian Bale, who, who is known for not necessarily going as far as, I don't know if he's known for going as far as um, oh Daniel Day Lincoln. Lewis. He, Daniel he's Lewis, very Daniel Day Lewis, who like goes into character. Yeah, yeah, very method and goes into character. Um, Christian Bale, which I don't believe he does it that far, but he has committed his body to his roles by like putting on weight, losing In weight, doing things, with, you know, ways. and whatnot. He when he did this movie, he made sure to do the routine the same routine every day like not just the days that he was act like acting that scene he did that routine every day and and i'll admit it it pays off for this movie he looks fantastic (laughs) in this movie there is no question and people thought that 
this movie was going to be career suicide for him because of the content. No and way. It ended up it ended up launching him yeah. into into like acting stratosphere where he's winning Oscars. Oh yeah. He really kind of he's he is definitely the best character in this. Now, oh, I yeah. have to ask you though. Another one of your hottie hottie hot men is in this movie. Yep. So, who would you rather who do you like more in this movie? Christian Bale or Justin Thoreau? No, Christian Bale. I mean, Justin Thoreau, his hair is like so like glued down to his head mm. and slicked back. I mean, I like it when he's a little more when it's not quite so much. But no, I was I had forgotten that he was in it when I saw him show. I was like, "Oh my god, he's in this too." But yeah, there's there's like a whole plethora of dudes in this movie like Josh Lucas and like you said Jared Leto. Jared Leto. Um and then uh don't forget Matt Ross. Who is he? Matt Ross is the red. He's the redhead guy oh. who who ends up who is amazing in Silicon Valley and and wrote and directed okay. Captain Fantastic. Okay, yes, yes. So he's he is great. His, but then his face changed. Well, I mean, he's a lot older by the time Silicon Valley yeah. comes out. So Bay Area. He he lives in the Bay Area. Yeah. So got to got to support that guy. <laughs> but I had also forgotten like some of the other people who were in this movie. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I always forget Reese Witherspoon is in this movie, even though she again, her, you know, she might have a few more lines and more screen time than Jared Leto, but not in. I mean, this movie is 99.9 percent Christian Bale. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's he occupies a vast majority of it. In fact, I don't think there's a single scene that he's not in maybe just like the scene near the end when his, the secretary is going through his yeah. notebook that yeah. that might be it yeah so i like william defoe in this a lot too i think he plays yeah the he's detective great really well and yeah no, th- there's, i really there's, like there's him a, there's and... a lot of stuff that's very good about this movie i mean for i don't know if this is a movie like i would necessarily put in like a frequent rotation that sounds like you're wa- you watch it on but i don't watch it as much as star wars but i do like if it's if it's on i'll i'll stop and i'll start yeah. watching it you know and i mean i guess it's just because like there's so many scenes where you're just like especially if you know the twist at the end that it's not that it's all in his head like if you if you're watching this for the first time and you're like this guy's a fucking maniac and then you watch it again knowing that it's all in his, he's not actually doing these things like when he's at the atm and it tells him feed me the kitten yeah. and he thinks about and then he sits there and he's like how do i put it in here <laughs> and then he gets the gun out to just kind of shoot it and then shoots the lady and then all the police and has this whole thing you're like this can't be fucking real yeah. <laughs> and but then in some ways it's more twisted to think like it's all going on in his head but I don't know. He's a psycho. He's an American psycho. Yeah. So you said you you said you had two favorite scenes? I well, I love the business card scene. I love the scene when he kills Paul Allen. Um the scene, I mean the scene with the two prostitutes where he's playing um Phil Collins. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I mean, granted, there's like sex going on and everything but really the thing that's hilarious about that is how the whole time he's watching himself yeah and that is you're watching that is just crazy and i i also like all of the restaurant scenes and not necessarily what they're eating but just 
the way that they talk about food. Um, not necessarily like the diners, but all of the servers and how the waiters, just, yes, the way they're describing everything. I mean, just it like goes that's on kind of how the movie on opens, on, and it just cracks. Like me how up. the yes, yes, everything has to sound overly fancy, and 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 from what from my research, I guess Brett Easton Ellis must like this movie because I got like a lot of the movie, like the dialogue is taken almost word for word from mm. the book. I mean, there's some scenes they had to cut out or alter because there's no way they would have been made into a movie. Yeah. um, Because they're just too graphic. But um, it was plenty graphic. It's pretty intense. So. Um, Well, I I double checked to see when did he write the book because I wasn't sure what the time difference was from when he'd written the novel. How far removed? It's like 89 or 90. He wrote it in 91. So I was trying to figure out, like, well, how far removed was he from the 80s? to have written a novel that was such a I want I wouldn't even say it's a spoof but just such a kind of critique of it and yeah. it, he was just you know it's just a couple years later but yeah I'd seen that like Oliver Stone was potentially going to direct us and this movie would have been lots of so people were different had it been an yeah. Oliver Stone movie there was lots of people that you know had were I guess the I guess he wrote it and then after the book had come out he had already sold the rights to have it made into a movie and it was just a matter of getting the right timing and the right people to do yeah. it i also f- get i f- i read that the book actually takes place in 1989 but the movie takes place in 1987 mm. so i mean they're you know people they change things for for whatever reason i mean it's hard to do movies that are set in a certain time period and get all the details right so sometimes you i think you just kind of go with the details at work i mean there's a lot there's like i I guess like cars are like the really easy thing to like point out like like oh that's an 81 and you're that but the show movie's supposed to take place in 79 that doesn't work you know that kind of thing well i think that's probably why there's so much of a discussion about music i mean because obviously as long as he doesn't mention music that came out after the date that the, right. that the movie set then you're fine right right and i guess that's how you can tell that it's 87 because he talks about the huey lewis and the news album four coming out and that was in 87 like it was brand new so i enjoyed watching this movie obviously i've seen it how many times probably like 20 i've probably seen it like 20 times all the Dang. way through and and sometimes it's and most of the time like now it's just kind of tug and cheek and I'm still like mesmerized by like how insane some of the scenes are because they're, they're very graphic not and but then there's just certain things about it that like you're watching it and you're just like this is this is just like so like so exaggerated that mm-hmm. it's got to be just almost funny. You got six. I had mentioned. Er- I, well, I mentioned early like. Like, well, and then it, like, makes me question myself. Like, I, like, I had never realized how he, um, would just walk around with headphones on Mm -hmm. listening to music. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's how I like to listen to music is I just put my AirPods in and I'm like listening to my, to my iPod. I'm just listening to music as I'm doing my daily routine. And I'm not sitting there about like thinking about murdering people, but wait a minute. But like, am I that disconnected from society? I don't think so, no. but 
thanks for thanks for uh, no. making sure. <laughs> I was just like, wait a minute. Most any to do that, so many so. people have a cell phone now, and most everybody has some kind of earphones to go with it. So it's pretty yeah. freaking common nowadays. I wouldn't worry about it. I think so. Maybe well, maybe then it's a commentary about how everyone wants to disconnect from society <laughs> and lives is living in some sort of fantasy in their head. Maybe it's not about murdering people, but maybe it's about how they wish their lives were. Like, I wonder how much Brett, like, do you ever think? I wonder how much Breakfast and Ellis liked all of the music that he talked that he mentioned, and how how straight from the book the dialogue about all the music was because. I just that those are some of my favorite parts too. I mean, even though it's usually involving when he's about to kill somebody, I really love how he talks about music. Oh yeah, I think it's it very. Sound, it doesn't sound. It doesn't. It doesn't sound pretentious at all. Well, I, <laughs> I just. I mean, I. I it, it's very <clears throat> thoughtful. I mean, him. I mean, especially like the talk about like Genesis and Phil Collins and how. I mean, just. I don't know. Well, let me throw this at you then. Sure. Let me throw this at you. How he talks, like, there's a lot of things that he does throughout, that his character does throughout the movie where it's like, it's something, like, he's saying something that he read about in the New York Times. Or he read about in in a review of something in a magazine. Mm -hmm. So, there's often times where I'm listening to him describe the music that he's listening to, and I really wonder if that's actually how he feels about the music, or if it's just something he read and the only reason why he likes that music is because it's what is popular because at the very beginning of the movie he kind of talks about like he's in the car with reese witherspoon and she's talking to him like why do you you even you hate your job why don't you even quit why are you even still working there and he's and and she's and she tells him she like your your father practically owns the company you know so you know you have it easy you know but you you hate it there why don't you leave and he's just like because i need to fit in mm-hmm. so so much of it is about him having to live up to a standard mm-hmm. that he has set for himself yeah and so that's why sometimes I wonder if part of that standard is acceptance and like trying to look normal, even though in his head he feels very abnormal. So it makes me wonder, does he actually like Huey Lewis or Phil Collins? Or is, some... it just part of the fa- is it just part of the facade he is creating? I don't know, Matt. I mean, top 40 is kind of kind of a big deal, so... I don't know. I I don't I, I, don't, I don't think that much about what Patrick Bateman's musical tastes really are. I'm going to take him at his word. He makes a pretty passionate case for all of the music he's talking about. All of But can that someone that- really like but can someone really like Robert Palmer that much? <laughs> I don't know. Those those ladies in the black outfits with the red lipstick playing the guitars are pretty cool. <laughs> I want to thank everyone for listening. We have now, as of today that we're recording this, been doing the podcast for two years. 
god. Which is freaking freaking ridiculous. Yep. I mean, it's more than two years because there was preparation and all that kind of crap. But yeah, our first episode debuted two two years from the day that we recorded this. Yep. So, um, if any of you have stuck around since the beginning, thank you. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And if you are new to our show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time to listen. What do you think about these movies? Am I insane for liking this movie as much as I do and laughing at it? I don't know. Or if you have read the books and have comments, please let us know. But uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Nancy for all of her hard work in helping me with this podcast. Thanks. Thank you, Matt, for... Finally, watching Lesson Zero all the way through. I am I am glad that I watched it. Good. I'm glad that I have finally like I can cross that off the list Good. of things to watch. I'm sh- you're welcome for letting you watch Patrick or uh, Christian Bale take a shower a couple times. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the shower scene is a lot more watchable than him running down the hallway in nothing but tennis shoes with a chainsaw and blood covered all over him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that seems hard to watch. But, um, but yeah. So thank you everyone for listening. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. This has been Fighting Over the VCR. Good night. Thank you. <laughs>